So today we will continue uh, just a survey of uh, what is the meaning and how can we make sense of our structure that we have called the, the, the gradual training that we see in the Buddhist teaching. So again, we will start from the beginning. Just remembering that already we have covered the basic aspects of sila, then of guarding the senses, guarding the sense door, then a clear comprehension also we have seen a little bit. And today we will uh, uh, look a little bit about the hindrances. So again, you may think, oh, the hindrances. I mean, so many people talked about it. You have so many books about it. And then every time you come to meditation, you hear about the hindrances. So it's kind of boring again. But I found sometimes before that boredom itself is an hindrance. So how, is, how, how we get bored? Because we lack of interest. And this should not happen so often, actually. It should not happen at all if we are really interested in what we are doing. Even if we are doing nothing at all, we should be interested. Because the interest is on, not only with what we do, but with how, how we do it. That means, since life is just action, this involves also mental action. So even if we are not doing anything, we are doing something. The mind is going on. So if you are really interested to learn about yourself, to learn about life, you also have to look and see how the mind is processing life, how boredom is arising. Why do we get bored? Because we want something exciting. And all life, we are looking for something exciting, and then we just want to be fed with a kind of stimulation that keeps us interested. But the interest, if it's only by getting something from outside, will be lacking some deeper values. And this is why we are practicing meditation, because we learn a little bit about our mind, and we learn not only about it, but we learn about the importance of knowing ourselves, knowing our own mind, how it works. So we have seen also that uh, hindrance are actually the first wall. Huh? So it is the mountain also that obstructs us from seeing reality more clearly. We have seen also in the last uh, sutta that uh, I picked up, you know, the Danta Bhumi Sutta the, in the Middle Lantern about the, the prince. So the order there that we find in the gradual training was actually, uh, I mean, most of the gradual training we, we will see, and like if you look at it, that uh, the entrances, that means to understand these entrances and also how to abandon them, how to get rid of them, this has come to, this has come to, it has to come before the 
actual practice of samatha meditation as meditation sub, um, as real samatha and also as real uh, vipassana. Like we see, we saw there that uh, uh, most of the suttas they, they say that uh, then the pra- the person uh, gets the sila correct. You see, in many ways, and and, and then. Uh, the person deals with the hindrances, and then later on, then either it is samatha, and then also, uh, if the person is going with the vipassana approach, then it is uh, satipatthana. One point that is, uh, I will uh, remind you again and again, because it's very important, and uh, this is uh, the aspect of observation. So, whenever we want to understand something, we have to observe it very carefully. So, in respect to observation, we see that everywhere, like in science, everything is based on uh, adequate observation. But if we look in the history of medicine, did you ever thought about that? How medicine started? And how actually the first medicines were dealing a lot with plants and herbs and how to create a purge, how to create a, 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 a medicine that, that if someone is taking it, it will have the beneficial effects on the body. It will uh, rebalance the energies and the elements and health will be restored. So how these discoveries came out in the history. So in the history of India, there is, at some point in the biography, I didn't find it today, but the the biography of the physician of the Buddha, the one who came to be the personal uh, physician of the Buddha and also of all the the, the, the members of the uh, the monastic community, his name was Jivaka. And uh, uh, it is told that uh, when he went to learn medicine for a few years with his teacher somewhere in Taxila, uh, then at the end of his training, uh, his teacher told him to go to the forest and try to see which plant actually cannot be used for medical purpose. <laughs> So the young man went to the forest and actually looked at every plant, every little single plant and herbs. He came back to his teacher and he said, "Hmm, I'm sorry, I cannot find a single plant, a single leaf and a single herb that cannot be used for medicine. So how they came to that uh, conclusion? just by experiment. So that means a lot of, you know, old physicians actually, before they were able to to, to master these uh, discipline and to have the the, the correct uh, knowledge of plants, then they got quite sick. That means they tried things and then it was just hell. And you you know that some plants are, are just poison. So they tried and they say, oh, the, the, oh no, this is not, not good, you know. And then they try some other plants, 
you know, either by eating or by seeing the effect that it had on the on the skin or on the reverse things, and then also how it will affect a certain disease by their special properties. So just by observation, by experiment, then they came to the conclusion, and also they developed the skillfulness of observation, the sensitivity to see what person needs which type of herb. That means which type of disease will be uh, will be uh, improved or, or will be cured with which type of plant. So they became very skillful in that, and that's why also uh, the the whole lineage of uh, medicine, you know, in the, in India, and I think most probably, I think in the West also, it, it was by a family lineage, or it was from teacher to teacher. So from uh, from many generations, they learn the art of plants, the 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 the, the, the art of medicine, and now. Of course, we are using chemical, and, but the principle is the same. That means when a new medicine is found, like in the chemistry, then they try it on guinea pigs, and eventually they try it with the small doses on humans. So uh, the conclusion there is that uh, physical elements have some effect on our body. So if we want to be healthy, we have to care about these things. Before I switch to the entrance, I would also like to mention that uh, I, uh, when reading this afternoon about uh, you know, the biography of that doctor, uh, I, I, I saw that uh, when he became you know, the, 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 the personal attendant, of, uh, especially with the Buddhist the, the, of the monastics, then he was looking at the monks. I don't know if he was looking. At, he was also looking at the, at the nuns. Uh, and, uh, and then he, he told the Buddha that actually they are quite pale. And, uh, and then he said they should do some exercises for health. So the Buddha enjoined the monks and the nuns to do some physical exercises to some extent, not to become athletes. And of course, in these days, they were quite healthy, but uh, just to keep the body healthy. So the idea of keeping a, a physical balance, which means Physical health is important in our practice. So we have to consider, especially if we are doing the practice on a long run, like for many weeks and months, then we have to also be wise enough to incorporate a, a kind of a minimum of, uh, of uh, what is needed as uh, physical exercises, just to keep the body healthy and also to keep the, 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 the brain uh, the brain uh, with the proper uh, blood circulation, etc. But the point here that I try to come to is that we also have mental disease. So there is the mental health that has to be considered. And uh, in the history of medicine, it is also interesting how they eventually they, they, they combine the two. That means uh, the specialists that were dealing with the physical, uh, physical illness and then the specialists that were also dealing with the mental illness. So sometimes also they were combining the two and the very clever doctors were able to keep the two together. That means they will not separate the psychosomatic uh, uh, aspects of diseases. And this is all eventually in the West, where these two disciplines, psychology and medicine, had been split. 
psychiatry had been able to, to put the two together. But uh, now we are dealing with the mind, we are dealing with the entrances, and uh, isn't the entrance a kind of uh, mental illness? It brings fever, it brings all kinds of uh, mental unbalance. And what is that Ill mental illness, if not a kind of mental unbalance to various degrees? So I'm sure that uh, sometimes if you are getting some health problem or some stomach problem or something like that, then you, 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 you just, uh, if you are a little bit independ independent, you just observe, okay, now what is happening to my body today? And you think, ah, oh, today because of uh, this food or because of something else, then I don't feel so good. Huh? So the, uh, the idea is that uh, we are observing what is happening now, and then we try to find some kind of causes. And by reflection, we come to an hypothesis, and then, and then we come to, to a conclusion that will make us uh, try to solve the, 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 the problem. You see now, we are talking about the real happenings. We are talking about real practice, and it's now. It's in a, in a context of, uh, of this century in this country. But what is interesting is uh, to see, since we are relating our practice to a tradition, the Buddhist tradition, it is very interesting to see all these things we are talking about medicine, we are talking about psychology, and isn't meditation an aspect of psychology? That means the understanding of the mechanics of our own mind. Viewed from this angle, we can explain it in modern terms. But uh, dealing with a tradition, we have to see, without these terminologies, how they were defining these problems. And uh, instead of saying something just out of the blue, I brought the book. So the book is just a book, but it is interesting how eventually they classified the old things. And if we look at these things, actually it's quite wise. I mean, 2,500... I mean, at least 2,000 years ago, they figured out what were the problems, and then systematically they put all the things in order with classifications and with definition, and then also with causality. So how they were explaining these things, if we look at that with fresh mind, without saying, okay, again, a book, you see, then it's not that boring. So depending, now you may get bored because I'm using the book, so in that case, you just continue to meditate. But I would like to, to, to give a few quotations, then it is just easier. So the book that I am re referring is the 
the the Anguttara Nikaya, no? It is the the new translation of Bhikkhu Bodhi. It's a kind of it's not green color, but anyway, it's it's quite a big. You have it in the library. So the first uh, text that I will use, actually, I already quoted it uh, the other day. And it is also funny that uh, now we are talking about causes, but here it is talking about nutriment. So we have seen how medicine is a kind of nutriment. But nutriment here means uh, conditions, kind of. So what are the causes? What are the nutriments for here? Ignorance. So they start with ignorance. As asking what is the nutriment for it, and uh, they say that the nutriment is not without uh, the, the that ignorance is not without a nutriment, and the nutriment for in ignorance are is the five are the five hindrances, and then also the five hindrances do not have are not without the nutriment, and what is the nutriment for the five hindrances? And they say the three kinds of misconduct. That means physical misconduct, verbal misconduct, and mental misconducts. Again, if you remember the reflection that I, uh, that I pointed out a few days ago, is for you to see how your actions are affecting your mind. That means not only your physical actions, but also what you say and also what you think. So all these actions, whether good or, or unskillful, are affecting our own mind. So if we are careful enough, we see that the misconduct of physical, physical activities or verbal, miscon uh, verbal activities and also uh, mental, misconduct, uh, mental activities is bringing uh, all kinds of agitation, all kinds of uh, doubts, or all kinds of hindrances. So actually, the misconducts are the nutriment for the hindrances. So it is as simple as that. And uh, they say, what is the nutriment for the three kinds of misconduct? Again, you see, they don't end up with their inquiry. It should be said, non-restraint of the sense faculties. So already we have dealt with that, and you know what it means. I hope so. Non-restraint of the sense faculties, too, I say, as a nutriment. It is not without a nutriment. And what is the nutri nutriment for non-restraint of the sense faculties? It will be said, lack of mindfulness and clear comprehension. And this also has a nutriment. And what it is? It is careless attention. Ayuniso manasikara. So this is a new term that has not been uh, uh, investigated yet, but uh, soon we are going to see our attention, our manasikara. And here, 
Yonisumanasikara has some parallel, some kind of uh, similarities with uh, sati and sampajanya, that means uh, mindfulness and clear comprehension. But now, let's put that aside. And uh, what is the nutriment for careless attention? And then they say lack of faith. And what is the nutriment for lack of faith? Not hearing the good Dhamma. And then this also has the nutriment. And the nutriment is not associating with good persons. So I think here you are quite well fed. You have good persons. And I don't know about how I explain the Dhamma, but uh, you should try to get some kind of uh, inspiration from whichever Dhammic ID you are uh, having in your mind. And then also the aspect of uh, mindfulness and also attention and all that are the support for our practice. But uh, now we are coming back to the five hindrances and the three kinds of misconduct. And uh, putting aside verbal misconduct and physical misconduct, we go to the aspect of the mind. So how the mind influences the mind. No, yesterday we saw that how the body influences the mind and also how the mind influences the mind. So here we are going to investigate a little bit more how the mind influence the mind. Another quote, which is, this is, I mean, the, 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 the ear, you see? They have a whole chapter about the hindrances. Very interesting. I mean, I don't know if you find that interesting, but it's interesting. So, uh, uh, yes, sorry, I, j uh, I skipped one. Just, I mean, just to, to, to remind you that uh, uh, because saying a heap of the unwholesome, it is about the five hindrances that one could rightly say this. For the five hindrances are a complete heap of the unwholesome, a kusala. What five? The hindrance of sensual desire, the hindrance of ill will, the hindrance of dullness and drowsiness, the hindrance of restlessness and remorse, and the hindrance of doubt. Because saying a heap of the unwholesome, it is about these five hindrances that one could right, rightly say this. For these five hindrances are a complete heap of the unwholesome. So the chapter that uh, I was to go to is about abandoning the hindrances. So it is just at the beginning of the Anguttara. If you like the number, it's the, at the page 90. If you like, I can write them on the board just to, just to facilitate, facilitate your, 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 your task. So, uh, <coughs> that's why also, uh, if I write them, then you can, you can look at them carefully. You can investigate them also by yourself and, and then just try to pick up the ID without getting bored and also trying to see what it means in your own practice. But basically, uh, what it says here is that, uh, that the, about sensual desire, 
the first hindrance, how it arises and also how it increases and expands is because of the mark of the attractive. So for one who attends carelessly, that means Ayuniso Manasikara, to the mark of the attractive, unarisen sensual desire arises and arisen sensual desire increases and expands. So if someone is not careful, like here the idea of uh, wise attention or careful attention, Yuniso Manasikara, is that uh, you are observing so closely the object of, uh, of uh, uh, you, are so, you are observing so closely <coughs> what is happening in relation to, to, to sense impact that you are able to see a kind of a causal relationship. So that means if you are looking at something, then you see how it is affecting your mind. So if you, it is on the right track, if you are looking wisely, then you either don't look at things that are the cause for arising uh, the hindrance of sensual desire, and also you don't look at the characteristics or the, or the aspect of the same thing that is the cause for sensual desire to arise. That means if you are looking at something, if you look it, at it in special ways, or in some ways, then uh, the sensual desire and the loss may arise. But if you look at the same thing with another perspective, then you are out of it because you see it, your perception see a different aspects of it. So by carefully looking it at ourselves, how is my perception affecting the dynamic of my mind by way of uh, skillfulness, by way of uh, awesome qualities or unawesome qualities? We have to be very careful. So here, in relation to sense desires that are going to per perturb, perturb our mind, no? we are talking that the, 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 the emotion of sensual desire is just a storm that will bring that will bring a lot of unclarity to our mind. So, how, how, how uh, are we wise enough to see the way we are looking at things are, is affecting our mind? So then it goes the same uh, way with the ill will, and uh, then the ill will increase and expands so much because one is looking at the mark of the repulsive. That means if you look at someone and all the time you, are, you look at the socks, but you look at the socks, I mean, so dirty, the person is never changing, he sucks. And then, I mean, just he doesn't care about the group, no? <laughs> Well, we are living together. I mean, if you go to s smell these things also, we have to be careful. It's a non-smelling environment. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the person is always wearing the same socks. Now it's two weeks, <laughs> and uh, not yet the change. This is the washing machine is there. I mean, it, it can be washed at hand also, but no. Careless. So anyway, you just look at the person. As soon as you see him, you say, this sucks. You never forget about it. And then you get really upset about that. 
So why is that? Why do you need to put so much emphasis on, on the socks? I mean, there are other aspects of the person, maybe, I don't know, the spectacles are so nice with the face, you see how they, how they fit and re-matching. So you can look at that, and then you don't get so upset. Hmm? So the, the sign of the repulsiveness, that means the, the sign of the unattractive, is just, it's a reaction. So, so it is striking things that, that, that is uh, uh, making a, a kind of aversion arise in our mind. So instead of looking, like now we see, we are looking at the same person. So instead of looking at something that will make unskillful states of mind, ill will, arise, we look at the same thing, I mean, or the same person, but, uh, but with different angles. So we can look at the behavior of the person. Maybe the behavior is so good. Who cares about the socks? No, I mean, some people don't care so much. So you can look at some aspects of other people that, that will generate uh, meta. So that's how also meta is, is being generated. We see the good qualities in beings, and then we, we, by seeing good qualities in beings, everybody has a kind of good quality. So by seeing that, we are just oriented towards the beautiful, and then the mind does not have that type of aversion that is just nourishing uh, ill will, and th that, that is just nourishing uh, uh, poison in ourselves. So uh, that's why it is important to see the way we look at things are affecting really our mind, and eventually, if we look at it, we have a kind. We can have an alternative of uh, of uh, changing the way we are looking at these things. So, in regard to uh, dullness and drowsiness, then they say that uh, the causes of drowsiness to increase and expand so much is discontent, lethargy, lazy stretching, drowsiness after meals, and sluggishness of mind. So that means the mind also has some something to play with it and also the body. So suppose you are eating so much and then you are just you, you, you get very much lethargic and also the, the, the mind also is not interested and bored and you have no energy. So these things are actually the reason for the drowsiness and dullness to increase and expand. Then the aspect of remorse, the fourth hindrance, the I do not see even one other thing on account of which unarisen restlessness and remorse arise and arisen restlessness and remorse increase and expand so much as an unsettled mind. That means if the mind is not able to settle itself on something that is positive, like the meditation subject, or even to settle itself on, on, on what the person is doing, Like just to come back again now, like the commentary here, they say that a non-settled mind is a mind that is unsettled on a meditation subject of a, that is uh, bringing jhana, or uh, the unsettledness is uh, 
the, 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 the mind that is not, uh, that does not reach or that is not established in the practice of vipassana. But we could say, I think that a, a non-settled mind will be a mind that is not able to settle itself on basic uh, uh, mindfulness and clear comprehension. So just to, again, a, again a, a, a comparison that I would like to make and that some of you may know that, uh, like for example, in the Vietnamese uh, monastic tradition, uh, we read in the, somewhere, I saw that long time ago, in Thich Nhat Hanh, biography that uh, when he was a young uh, uh, monk in, 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 in his monastery, then they used to train the monastics there, the, 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 the young boys, probably they do that with the young girls also, is that uh, whenever you are doing something, huh? if you are cleaning something, or if you open the door, or close the door, open the window, close the window, then whatever you are doing, you put your all attention to it. You are very mindful, very careful. And to increase also the quality of doing the action, the teacher says that, okay, now, when you are doing such action, try to compose a poem, isn't it? So, if I am wrong, then you please correct me, but uh, uh, I think that, uh, like, uh, for example, if you close a book, then, then you think, or, or you, you make a poem in your mind, and you say, oh, may all my bad actions be closed, and, uh, and then I, I, I be free from it, something like this. I'm not very poetic, you can imagine, so uh, I, I have some excuse. So, or if you put water somewhere, then you think, oh, may the water of the Dhamma uh, bring, uh, satisfy, quench the, the, the thirst of all beings. If you are cooking something, then you think, oh, may the food that I am cooking uh, serve as a nutrition for all the all beings that that will eat it and also that will uh, be healthy for their mind also so it is forcing the monastics to put a, a skillful intention in the action so i don't tell you to say that but uh, just for yourself to remember that when you are doing something the way you do it is also very important Today when I came in the dining hall, then I saw a yogi just closing the door, and, and then she was so careful. Just by what, closing the door, and I saw she is doing her work so carefully. And then it reminded me that actually I was not mindful at all. I was thinking about something else, and then I said, oh, wow, she must have heard very good instructions. Huh? <laughs> But uh, it is important, huh? it has to be practiced. So mindfulness and clear understanding is also a base. Huh? It's also a kind of very important base for, uh, uh, for, for, for uh, restlessness, for a non-settled mind. Huh? So this is a, a way to settle your mind, huh? to, to get rid of the, of the hindrance of restlessness and remorse. And then the last one, about doubt. Uh, 
I do not see even one other thing on account of which unarisen doubt arises and arisen doubt increases and expands so much as careless attention. Again, we are coming back to the, 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 the theme of uh, the Ayuniso and Yoniso uh, Manasikana. So careless attention. So the careless attention here is in regard to to understanding actually the distinction between uh, wholesome states of mind, unwholesome states of mind, wholesome activities, unwholesome activities, and then things like this. So someone who is not carefully uh, uh, attentive has no kind of consideration of uh, of uh, that type of discrimination that, that is able to, to observe the qualities of uh, conduct. And then again, you may, I don't want to bother you so much, but uh, then you have the opposite. Then you have the fight, the, 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 the how uh, good qualities will arise. So how will you abandon the five entrances? So it's a kind of uh, the opposite. So if someone wants to abandon the uh, arisen sensual desire, then you just, uh, this is a kind of uh, purgative. You, you, you develop the meditation on uh, the unattractive. That means you are seeing uh, repulsiveness you know, in food or repulsiveness in, in physical body, just anatomy that is smelling not so good and things like this. So, as you know, there are speci specific meditations for that. But uh, this is an antidote to, uh, for someone who is having a lot, a lot of uh, you know, sense desires that brings lust and, and a strong passion. Then for uh, the, the endurance of ill will, then, then there is nothing better than the liberation of the mind by loving kindness. So it's here, it's interesting. No? We are talking about the loving kindness. So loving kindness can bring us a liberation of mind when the mind is very concentrated. But not only that, but it's also a very strong antidote for the aspect of uh, ill will and also the aspect of boredom, we, we could say. And um, then for drowsiness and things like this, then the element of uh, instigation, the element of persistence, the element of exertion, these things. For one who has aroused energy, unarisen dullness and drowsiness do not arise, and arisen dullness and drowsiness are abandoned. So if you feel very lethargic and you are very lazy, then you get kind more energetic, and then you uh, have the element, you develop the element of instigation, the element of persistence in what you are wanting to do as your work or as your meditation, or the element also the, of exertion. That means you take resolve and then you get very courageous and then you go on <coughs> with your uh, duty. And uh, then for remorse and restlessness, then there is nothing better than pacification of the mind. So I think pacification of the mind is just by, by, by seeing. Now we are, the idea is to come back to nutriment. 
And what is nutriment? Nutriment is a kind of food, food for the body, and also food for the mind. That means what we are thinking is feeding our mind. What we are thinking is food for our mind. So are we caring about that? Do we care about what we think? Do we care about what we feed our mind with? When we, are, when we are not meditating, now we are meditating, and then, okay, now, two hours finished, I mean, I did quite a good deal, two hours sitting here. Then you go out and you think about all kinds of things. Isn't it correct or not correct? And is, is the activity outside the official meditation time important or not important? It is very important, because it's our diet, mental diet. So we have to be very careful which type of thoughts we are entertaining, which type of thoughts we are also giving uh, as a source of uh, nutriment for our mind. And uh, if we are using thoughts that are actually pacifying our mind, then, uh, then it's very good. So, excuse me, I will look what they say, you know the notes here. About this one, I'm curious what it means, specification of the mind, 38. Sorry. Mm. Mm, they don't say about that. But it's just when you, when you get the mind calm by, you know, by thinking about something uh, peaceful or by thinking about your meditation subject. And then for the last one about doubt, then again, the opposite of uh, careless attention is careful attention. So if for someone who attends carefully, unarisen doubt does not arise, and arisen doubt is abandoned. But also here, uh, I purposely brought the book because they are very, it is very detailed, and uh, uh, by yourself you can, if you are interested, to see, okay, now, how they were actually uh, classifying, how they were actually uh, dealing with the entrances. And then for every entrance, now they give the theme, uh, the, the, the basic ID, but for every entrance, uh, they are also giving uh, like about six things that are also of, uh, I mean, I will just give you an example and uh, you, it will be too much to, to read it all, but... Uh, um, So the commentaries enumerate six things that lead to the abandoning of each of the five hindrances. The, the six that lead to the, the, the abandoning of sensual desire are, for example, learning an uh, unattractive object, meditation on unattractive, it's kind of, again, you're not interested in that, guarding the doors of the sense faculties and moderation in eating, good friendship and suitable conversation. So for each entrance, we have also an addition of skillful uh, attitude and also skillful actions that, that, can, uh, that can prevent or that can help us to get rid of these things. So we will take uh, just, again, as an example, we will take the last one about uh, doubt. And they say that uh, the, the denourishment of doubt by giving K 
careful attention to wholesome and unwholesome qualities, blameable and blameless qualities, inferior and superior qualities, dark and bright qualities with their counterparts. And uh, six other things lead to the abandoning of doubt, much learning, asking questions, skill in the Vinaya, that means skill in the, in the rules and the discipline of the monastics, if you are a monastic, abandoned, uh, abundant, abundant resolve, that is trust and faith in the three jewels. That means you, are, you, you, you take a resolve and then you, you increase the aspect of faith that, 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 that is a real counterpart to the endurance of, uh, of doubt. Also good friendship and suitable conversation. So sometimes if you are full of doubts, huh, then just to know that you have a good friend somewhere and also that a suitable conversation about the Dhamma can inspire you and also can, 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 can help you to get rid of these hindrances, of, of the hindrance of, of, of doubt. So I think this is, this is enough for the hindrances. But just, you know, it is just for you to, to remember that uh, sometimes, of course, now you are all doing good meditation and you, have, you don't have these problems, but uh, sometimes if they are coming, then you, you know, ah, maybe I can find a cause, no? So you, so, so you can either look at the book or you can remember, ah, now I am very drowsy or lack of motivation and what? Is that an end? Yes, this is an endurance. Huh? So all the time when you are in a, in a bad mood and, or, or something is not going well, try to e identify what is the problem. And then if you know, I mean, it's, they are just very simple, no, these five hindrances. So if you know them, and also if you know how to, to diagnose them when they arise, and also if you know how to deal them, with them properly, then there is no problem at all. This is just an hindrance. And then you just, it's just like when you are sick. Huh? So when you are sick, you just take your medicine, or you, you do exercise, or you change your diet, or you just sick. So hindrance is just a sickness. And how do we get rid of it? By observation. By observation, what is happening now with me, with my mind, and then by understanding, and then by adjustment. So we adjust according to the situation. So the hindrances in our practice, often they, they can be dealt without the meditation. That means just by themselves, they can be a topic of meditation, just by looking at them and just by knowing how they rise and how you can get rid of them. Then it's, isn't it the aspect of psychology? It's a kind of investigation in psychology, our own psychology. How we go a little bit nuts, how we go crazy, how we lack. I mean, what the psychologists will call, all they will call that. I don't know, not uh, uh, deficient attention, but depression, or things like this. You know, any kind of mental illness sometimes can easily be related to, to the five hindrances. So they are not necessarily dealt or cured with the aspect of meditation. Of course, meditation is the, is the foundation, but uh, they can be dealt also on a very uh, uh, general aspect by knowing actually how they arise and all they will disappear.
that's why uh, it is a very important uh, um, uh, part uh, in the in the gradual training but someone also since we are looking at the text someone who has got rid of the hindrances uh, they say you know in the in the books that they, they compare that to someone who uh, who had borrowed a loan of money for for business so so as long as you are in debt with your business then you don't feel so good because you know now whatever income you have most of it you have to pay as a debt <laughs> so as long as the debt is not settled uh, you are not so comfortable but once the debt is settled and then you start to have a good income and you feel comfortable with your business then Prosperity is there, and then you are much more at ease. So the hindrances, especially, anyway, especially they, they like you have a simile for every hindrance. Huh? So uh, the hindrance of uh, the, the thing of the business may be compared with sensual desire. I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, we can compare that with all kinds of hindrances. So if you have a, a debt, and then you are free from your be- your debt, then you feel much better. Also. If you are ill, if you are sick, you don't have an appetite and then you, you feel weak, but you get cured and now you are much before, you, you, you are much better, you have recovered and you are healthy, so you feel very good. Or also they compare that to someone who is in prison. So you are just, I mean, imagine the poor people, I mean, it's because of their actions, but imagine if you were to be in the prison, then every day you have to do what they told you, you go here and there, and then you cannot, you are not free at all. You are not free. You are, all the time there is checking, and it's very uncomfortable. So the hindrances also are compared to a prison, and then when you are free of them, you are fr- uh, when you are out of it, then you are free. And they compare that also to the slave. When you are a slave of someone, then you are unable to go anywhere, and uh, you are always dependent on your master. And... But when you are free from that slavery, you feel much better. And also, um, someone who is uh, going on a, on a trip and he, he has a lot of goods, and then he, the person goes in the desert and it's very dangerous, you see, and, the, and then the, all the time uh, the person is very scared because he doesn't know when he will get attacked by, by pirates or all kinds of uh, bad uh, thugs or something like this, but when the person comes to the village, then the person feels safe and uh, he can breathe a little bit more. So the dif- the disappearance of the entrance is actually compared to that, to the depth, to a sickness, and then to the, the bounds of the prison, slavery, and also the perils of the desert. What is the result of that? The result of that is great clarity of mind. Also great peace of mind. So if, when everything is settled and then you, f- you feel free. They talk about freedom. So you are free from the hindrances and the mind is at peace, the mind is clear. So at that time, when you pay attention to your meditation subject, then very easy. Because not only you feel free, but you feel a lot of happiness. 
That's why it is important to to know how to 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 deal with them from time to time when they are arising. Here for uh, you know, I was talking about that before uh, coming here with a friend who is a monk. For he has been a monk for for decades in in Burma and in Sri Lanka, and uh, and then he came with you know with very sweet charts, and uh, and then we 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 copied them, and uh, we thought that maybe you would like to uh, to see a little bit what what could be like. This is just a tentative. Huh? It is just an approximate evaluation of uh, how the gradual fi- uh, the, the gradual training could fit into. Uh, uh, into the training, we are talking about monastic trainings. No? So, but also you, you you can make it your own. No, but uh, in relation to the gradual training, which is speaking about monastics, how oh, it is uh, 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 selected, how oh, oh, it is divided. So here, uh, the divisions we have made is with uh, first the person comes to the monastery and then. It, the person is in a kind of a study section with all the monks and the nuns, and then the person learns how to wear the robes and how to, to behave properly with the, the rules, and also the person learns how, how to, to govern the sense faculties and also how to eat properly and to, to be moderate in, in, in the eating. Then the second portion is a little bit quieter, but secluded in the section... Uh, in the same monastery, <coughs> but the section is maybe a little bit more quiet. And then the person has more uh, possibility to do some instro- introspection and to be aware of, 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 of her mind or his mind. And then there you can practice wakefulness and also the, 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 the aspect of uh, mindfulness and clear comprehension also can be uh, developed to uh, a much greater degree when you are not so busy with all kinds of activities that are uh, demanding in a, in a busy monastery. And then the third, uh, the, the, the third, uh, the third division here that we have put is that uh, when when the person is able to go to the forest, you see, like if you read the text, they say, okay, now once the five uh, at, a, at at some point the person. When he, uh, the person has learned the, the, the meditation, then goes to uh, the forest for complete seclusion. So here we are, we are at the first refuge. So it can be a little bit uh, comparable to that. So uh, it's also an empty place or uh, a lonely abode that they say in the, in the text. So this is kind of uh, our situation now. We are we are just by ourselves. We we can stay in the room, and then also we are close to the nature, and then close to forest, and we are very quiet. So another uh, division of the of uh, the gradual training is also uh, classified in this uh, third uh, section. So we see that here the person is putting down the hindrances, and also the person is practicing samatha and vipassana or vipassana. Or samatha, depending on the, on the, on the, depending on the person. But it's in, it's in, I think, I think the idea of a gradual, you know, sequence is interesting because when we are not here anymore, 
You see, when we go back to our life, wherever it is, then we can remember that, okay, now I can practice wakefulness, and then also I can practice a little bit more the, I mean, mindfulness and clear comprehension, and also governing the sense faculties and all these uh, the, the, the aspects dealing with, uh, with virtue can, can, can continue to be uh, practiced. But uh, the aspect that, uh, uh, that, that, that are concerning uh, a complete seclusion is sometimes possible and then sometimes not possible when we are back home. Hmm? So you can make <laughs> whatever relation you like to make with this chart, it's up to you to make it. The other chart also that, uh, that we came up to is that uh, the other day I, I, I spoke uh, a little bit about, uh, about uh, the psychological distance from the object. That means the objects we are having, there is a psychological distance that, that we are having depending on the, the type of uh, practice that we are doing. So you can look, we will put it in the board, and then you can, you can see that uh, tomorrow. If you like some copies, also it's easy to make, I mean, if you are interested in that. So we see, like, uh, here, here, suppose that the, the object is, is this side, okay? So the object, whatever it is, uh, the object that we are having in meditation or in our sense, uh, in, the, in the contact of the senses, this is here. And uh, we see that governing the sense faculties that we spoke about, then the object is very far. And then I gave the, the, the example of someone who is governing the sense faculty, as someone is a goaler in the, in, the, in the goal, so it's just like this, and just stop the object. So the psychological distance that the, the person is having towards the objects of sense impact is, is, is kind of distant. I mean, it's not uh, closely investigating. So here, this is about a kind of uh, approximate, appro approximate distance. And then when it comes to mindfulness and clear comprehension, then the mind is a little bit closer to the objects of attention. And then when the person is practicing samatha, then I gave the, the, the example of the towel. Huh? So when someone is practicing samatha, then at, uh, at the end, then either the object is uh, invading the mind, like you are just in the object, or, uh, or I mean, the object is just covering your own mind, or the mind is completely absorbed in the object. So at that time, the, you will notice on the, the detail on, on, on the sheet that the, 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 at the time of absorption, then the mind is just in the object, so there is not much of a, uh, distance from there. So the distance is no more there when you practice the samatha. But when you practice vipassana meditation here, you will see that uh, the mind is quite close to the object, but it is not engulfed in, it is not absorbed in it. It is very close to the object, and then with the help of uh, applying and sustaining Vitaka and Vichara, it's able to, to hold the object enough so that the observation of it is very clear. So it's not far, and also it's not a general type of uh, observation. It's very close observation of, of specific objects. So this is what is happening when one is uh, practicing Vipassana. 
But the interesting division here that you will notice is that uh, uh, there are two new terms that, uh, that we have introduced and uh, uh, we talk about content meditation and then process meditation. I don't know if this makes something, uh, uh, it makes something resounding in your mind. But the idea of content meditation is that uh, when we are dealing with uh, concepts or just uh, when we see the characteristics of, of, of the specific characteristics of objects. You see, like this is the green color, this is the table, this is the flowers, and uh, this is my body, this is my bones, and this is the wall. And so this, I called it the content, or we, we I mean, the, the, the chart. The m my friend came with this name, content meditation. Uh, and then the opposite, which may help you uh, figure out what is meaning, what is meant by content meditation is a process meditation. That means uh, that the mind will change gear. That means it's, you will change not necessarily of dimension, but the perspective you will have on things will be quite different than the perspective that you that that you have when you you when you observe you know the things in a very conventional way. So when we are having the mind of vipassana, then we see all the phenomena, not, not as concepts, but we see the three characteristics, and then also the things are no more solidified. We see the things as process. This is what we try to describe. So we are not seeing, you, uh, we are not seeing a person, we are just seeing uh, the five aggregates or the aspect of mentality or materiality. We don't see a table, but we just see the four uh, elements and then with, with other types of uh, derived materiality. And also not only that, huh? but uh, we see, we don't see these concepts, but we just see the characteristics of uh, change. So that means we just perceive the vibrations, we just perceive uh, the, the, the physical phenomena as, uh, as a very subtle, maybe waves, or, or, but it goes beyond the concept. And the same thing with the, uh, with the mental uh, objects. All what we perceive is seen as, as a process. So this is what, the, it's also a tentative, like if you don't like to, if you don't agree with this evaluation or this classification, it's really up to you. But definitely, uh, speaking with the very good meditators, then they all describe that uh, reality actually goes beyond the normal uh, field of perception. So the perception has changed to, uh, to a degree to which the mind doesn't perceive the things as they are used to, to be perceived. And then we see that uh, at that time that uh, we are constructing our world with concepts. And then with, we are constructing the world out of these phenomena that are actually just pure energy or just pure uh, process. So the more we, our mind 
becomes clear, the more also we get rid of concepts and also we are knowing very detailed uh, aspects of things, then in the depth we see that there is just the aspect of arising and passing away. Everything is just energy, arising and passing away constantly. So at that time, this is deep uh, vipassana. So this is the difference that actually my friend uh, just uh, put on the chart. Hmm? So you can look at that and see if it makes any sense to you. So now we, sp we, we, we just review again the, the, the gradual training. Huh? And uh, our idea is that uh, we should never be afraid to go back and then to start again. Okay, now I'm just practicing sila again, or I'm just practicing guarding the senses or basic uh, mindfulness and clear comprehension. No, no, all the time we need to, to incorporate these, these basic pra practices all the time with, with whatever we are doing. So sometimes our mind will have the possibility to go deep in meditation, but sometimes also uh, it is too much. And then if we don't have these uh, basic uh, aspects of the gradual training, then we will be missing something. So whatever it means for yourself, then the idea is that uh, for everything there is a causal relationship, huh? and then the aspects of, uh, of, of sila is a causal relationship that is relating what you are doing to what you are experiencing in your mind. So by observing properly where we are, what we are doing and everything, then we understand and then from there we are adjusting and the adjustment, first of all, is by coming back to a balanced state of mind. This is very important. So we have to see how we feel, how we are, and then to adjust it in a way that we will always come back to a very decent, balanced state of mind. And this is done sometimes by way of governing the senses, just to see, okay, now the mind is going a little bit too off in directions that is not so suitable, so we are just careful, okay, now I don't need to do anything, and just observe how it is uh, working, and then just kind of governing the senses. Sometimes also we just need to be mindful and understand properly what we are doing in a very simple way, in, the or in, in order to, to, uh, to come to a very uh, suitable mental balance. But also, uh, from the balanced state of mind, then we have to incorporate some kind of development. And then this is with the meditations that we are doing. So with the meditation, we have a main topic of meditation. So if you are interested, like now you have been doing some samatha, so you are interested in some subject of meditation. Mm? And uh, you take one that is mostly interesting for you, and then you make it your main object of meditation, like the breath, or like the four elements, or the kasinas, or whatever it is, you can choose a main 
object of meditation. The object also can be the practice of vipassana. If you have done any uh, of these before, then you, 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 you can go back to that. And together with the main object of meditation or the main uh, subject of meditation that, that you are using for development, then also you can incorporate a kind of secondary or a kind of alternative uh, meditation subject. That means when you are not sitting or when you, are, when you want a break from, from, from your main <laughs> uh, topic of meditation, then you have some kind of alternative. So in the sitting posture, if you are practicing anapanasati and then you have difficulty to keep it when you are walking or when you are doing the, any kind of work, then you can combine uh, the, the, these other activities with also other meditation uh, subjects that are secondary. So sometimes people will use like anapanasati when they are sitting and then when they are working the practice metta or vice versa. Or when you are walking, you can practice the four element meditation. And then when you are sitting, you can practice metta or you can practice vipassana. And then uh, sometimes if you are really, uh, you are not, your mind is not going into a specific meditation uh, subject, then you can also come back to just basic general mindfulness and clear comprehension and just be in the present moment by guarding the sense door, by seeing that the mind does not go too much astray. And if the mind is going too much astray because of strain, or so just look at it and understand that is that suitable or is that not suitable? Is it fitting for what I want to, to, to achieve or what I want to come to? And then by closely observing it, you see that actually it's purposeful or not purposeful to 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 what you are wishing to do, and then and then you just uh, you just adjust it, and then you are just uh, you are just still with the present moment, and then you don't you no, you don't get lost into uh, in, into the fever of uh, these uh, these five hindrances, and you are always able to keep uh, the balance of your mind. So you know that uh, in uh, in the in in Japan, in Japan they say that uh, if you are sick, don't look for a doctor, but look for a cook. That means what they are eating, they are very aware of the effect of food on the on the on the persons. So a careful cook will know what is suitable for, for this type of person and all the foods are not suitable for everybody. So you have to see which type of food is suitable for your body, but most of all, which type of food is suitable for your mind. So this is the message here. What is the food suitable for our mind so that we keep healthy and also that we can keep growing? It is finished. <laughs> you don't have a question, do you? 
Or, or, or you have question, don't you? <laughs> How do you ask? <laughs> or maybe we can talk about that uh, another occasion. So it's very nice to be with you, and then just continue with your meditation. I think I think you should never lose of interest. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.